Good morning, everyone. Welcome to episode number 43 of the Audio Podcast. As always, well, not as always, because it hasn't been recently, yeah. but you're back with the Auto Bros, because uh, I'm, I'm out of the woods. So uh, it's good to be back. Thank you again for Liam for tagging in last week. Really appreciate it. Um, Alex? I thought we might start. We got some sad news last night. Mm. Uh, a good friend of ours um, sadly passed away from cancer. Yeah. And um, so we want to sort of tribute this one a little bit to, to Amy. Yeah. Um, she had a real rough trot towards the end too, so uh, I think it's definitely better for her. Yeah. Um, and we're here in support for everyone that um, that's involved. So. Yeah, obviously there, there's there's a lot of people who know of the situation and have been around it. And look, our hearts go out to all mm. of you. Um, yeah, it's it's a terrible situation. Yeah. Um, but ha- like I, I think she's in a better place now. Yeah, yeah. Like you said, she's she's had an extremely rough time of it. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, we're we're thinking of all of you yep. who are who are involved. And um, if you guys need absolutely anything, obviously just reach out. Yeah. Just please reach out. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I do want to. Uh, I do want to. I want to pivot. Mm-hmm. And you had something that you wanted to mention. I thought would fire off with yours first. Yeah, uh, mine's just a brief thing. Um, uh, obviously, everything seems like it's not a big deal today, um, but this was something I was thinking about during the week. Uh, and obviously, being a being a footy fan, and we're coming up to uh, State of Origin one. Uh, there's obviously been a lot of talk about the NRL and their recent rule changes uh, that they've brought in. Uh, now, the whole idea of it is obviously to to protect the head. So essentially, what they've what they've changed is uh, any contact to a an attacking player's head at all. And you're on report, and the you're sent to the sin bin for ten minutes. Now, the last two weekends they've they've brought this in. There's been it's been pretty terrible to watch, because the problem is that the NRL is such a high level sport that the teams are so well drilled when it comes, particularly to defensive maneuvers and stuff mm. like that, and defensive structures. And look, can, can I can I? Predict what it is from a sure from someone who has no idea. Yep, I would find it extremely challenging when that's all you've done mm. for the inception of the sport. No, I, I'm not saying attack in the head, but you've got a certain way that you tackle, and the technique is yeah. it has been the technique. Now, obviously, there has been head contact, and, and I think the reason why they're pushing it now is because head contact is a like you know CT CTE yeah. is, a, is is in focus at the moment. Mm-hmm. But you can't just go and snap, undo uh, technique. And if, mm. again, I know nothing, but I think that would create even more danger mm. because now you don't know how to tackle or an element of that tackle has been taken away. Yeah, so you're really on the right path. Um, essentially, what what a lot of people don't understand who what maybe even watch the game but have never played the game or, or aren't really super fans of it, is... Now, it's always been illegal to make contact with the head. It, it always has been. Mm. Like, mm. if you do a, a big head high, you'll get sent off. Like, yeah. And that's been the case since the game's inception. There's been rules against it the entire time. Now, obviously, the game has cleaned up a lot over the last de- you know, couple of decades. It, you know, back in the 80s, it was pretty brutal, and um, it, it has definitely cleaned up a lot. But the reality of the situation is, in today's game... Defences are drilled to target a certain tackling zone. 
And what that tackling zone actually is, it's essentially between the chest and the shoulder. Because the idea of it is an effective tackle is when you can halt the ball runner, but also tie up the ball. And when people are running the ball, generally it's like under the under the wing or in their hands. Sure. So if you're tackling them around around this zone, you can wrap the ball up so they can't offload it. Because yep. obviously in a game like rugby league where it's about sets of six tackles, an offload is a massive advantage mm. because essentially you get like an extra tackle. Yep. Right? So the problem is now... It, it's CT is obviously a big issue, mm. and I think this has been a bit of a knee-jerk reaction because in the NFL, I think either the NFL themselves or a club recently got sued by someone because of CT. Mm-hmm. And look, obviously, you don't you don't want to see you, you don't you want players to be safe for sure. But let's be real, it's a it's a grown man sport, right? Anyone who goes into playing rugby league isn't assuming that they're never going to get injured the entire time they play that game. Yeah. That's one thing. The other thing, though, is if this was so serious, why do they bring it in in the middle of the season? Yeah. Right? It makes no sense. No you, training camp. No right? training camp. Like, they've they've already gone through pre-seasons and it was about nine weeks of footy playing in a certain way. Mm. And then they brought these changes in. Now, the the people who are high up, like Peter Volandis, and you CEO, who's brought this in, what they're saying is they're like, it, we're barely, we've barely even changed the rule because you, you haven't been able to attack the head anyway, so yeah, why are you... Say it. Right? But the, the reality of the situation is this. That tackling zone gives you very little margin for error. And I've seen a lot of examples, like there was one last weekend in the Dragons game where... Uh, there was a, a Sharks player running the ball, so attacking player running the ball. Now, two-man tackle. The first one has hit low because, again, they're trying not to hit the head. So the mm. first one has gone and tackled around the hips. Mm. The second tackler had already committed to his tackling mm. motion to tackle the shoulder level. The first tackler made contact first. What happened? It caused him to hunch yeah. over slightly. So then the second tackler, who's already committed to the tackling motion, made slight contact to the chin. He was off for 10 minutes. Completely changed the course of that game. Like, the oh. other thing, though, but this is the thing. So everyone in the media has been speaking about this the whole time. This is a thing that I haven't seen anyone speak about, and forgive me if I'm wrong, because maybe they have. But attacking players aren't the only ones who can get head injuries. Mm. So you have to consider this. At the moment, the tackling zone where you're trying to hit a player is around their chest, which generally means you're hitting with your shoulder, which keeps your head on the outside of the body. Sure. So when you're asking defensive players to lower their tackling zone, that means a defensive player, their head is now at risk of being hit by a shoulder, an elbow, a hip, or a knee. The hard stuff. The hard stuff. Yeah. Right? The other thing that I found really interesting too, which I'd only really started considering this last weekend... But I think a lot of teams have been very well drilled in who's going to tackle high and who's going to tackle low to try to avoid injuring each other. Something I've seen a lot of lately is head clashes between defensive players because you've got two players trying to tackle on opposite sides of the attacking player around the same tackling zone and they're going around the back and they're actually smashing their faces into each other. And one of them gets simbined. Well, but like that that's the whole thing, right? It's it's like, are you gonna start sin binning an attacking player because their hip has made contact with the head of a, a defender? Do you know what I would do? Just simbin everyone? No, do, do, like as a player, knowing this rule, 
I'd get my head hit from the best the best player on their team and get a sin bin. You can yeah. change the course of the whole thing. Yeah, and you'll see that. And that's that's the thing. They brought this in just before State of Origin, which is the showpiece of the game. It, it's the it's the highest quality rugby league that you'll see in in the world. It's better than the international game. Yeah. They can't do it, and it will it it will ruin it. They can't do it. Um, and the other thing too is there's no there's no stipulations for you've got certain players, and again, it's nothing against the players, but you've got certain players who their style when they run the ball is oftentimes they're trying to be elusive, right? And sometimes some of these players will actually drop their level and back into the defensive line because they're actually trying to keep their the ball hands open for like an offload mm. or something like that. Well, we saw one last weekend where uh, James Tedesco drops and backs into the line. So a tackler who's already made a commitment to tackle him, he's dropped his level, touched Tedesco's head, and the guy gets sent off for 10 minutes. It just, it takes... Well, let, let me put this out there. When has... Because I, I hate the NRL. Mm-hmm. And one of, the, one of the reasons why I don't like the NRL is because I don't think, I don't think it's run correctly. Yep. And... I, name a rule that's changed that has helped the game. Look, they, they have brought in some good things. To me, the six again rule that they brought in, which you, again, as someone who doesn't really watch the game a lot, it it really did make the game more exciting. Mm. So essentially what the major change of the six again rule is... Oh, I know is, what the six, six, six again is. Yeah. But, but it's, it, it, it prevents stoppages. It keeps the ball for in sure. play. But right? out of how many rule changes have they had... Mm. How many of the so that's one that you can say that has has gone in the yeah. right direction? Yeah, the, the, and this is the issue that you get where as a as a means of survival financially, what you're seeing happening in a lot of major leagues because it's not just the NRL. Like I'd, I'd say, netball is in the same position because netball has financially struggled for many mm. years. Instead of having CEOs running the game who know the game, love the game, and want mm. to want to build a game. You've got business people running the game going, it's all about ticket sales, it's all about getting eyes on the sport, how can we bring more people in? So, yeah. which, which again, that's, that's great in, in theory, but in practice, it's like, how do you, they were talking about um, uh, junior participation in the sport, so kids are dropping off uh, playing rugby league because it is a, it is a brutal sport. Yeah. And head injuries are a real thing. Mm. Now, Gus Gould, who's who's one of the guys who I, in my opinion, he's one of the guys who should be running the game. He knows, yeah, yeah. he knows the game. And I he's don't very, like the guy, but, he, but I get, yes, his, his skills are perfect for that. I completely agree. Yeah. Uh, he he made the point where he goes, the junior game's really safe. They've brought in all these rule changes at a junior level, like for kids. Mm. It is a super safe game. But he goes, we don't we don't actually tell anyone that. So you're talking about uh, yeah. so you're talking about how junior participation's down. Well, that's because mum and dad go and watch State of Origin, the most brutal games that you can watch, and they go, "Well, I don't want I don't want Nate playing that game." Yeah. But the junior game's completely different because it is safe. They have done things, and and no one talks about yeah. it. Yeah. Um, I, look, I'm a big believer in in personal responsibility, and, and look, it's something we talk about on on the podcast all the time. It's personal responsibility. And I don't, I don't like getting people, like letting people get hurt. I don't like mm. that. But in my opinion, like I'm a sports person. I've had a knee surgery because I'm playing sports. Mm. It's my choice. Like if I choose to play a brutal game, like I've done kickboxing before, that's really stupid when it comes to not getting injured. Mm. 
But I chose to do it because I found it enjoyable. Yeah. And if you're doing it in a controlled environment, that is the best way to actually do those sorts of things if that's what you want to do. Uh, when Where do we draw the line in like what what you should be able to choose to do and what you should be able to choose not to do? Well, I, I look, I'm all for choice. I'm all for that. But I, I'm also about improving everything. Mm-hmm. And what I haven't seen NRL do is improve. They've tried to. They're, mm. like, they're, it's in the right vein. But like to what you're saying about the promoting, the promoting of it, let's get ticket sales. Well, the best way to get ticket sales is to create a spectacle worth watching. Mm. That's the that's right. f- first and foremost. Which the six again rule has done. Yeah, so that, that, that is a good example. The, but you the, need more things like that. Yeah. Now, that this this thing that you've just spoken about now, to me, sounds mental. That is yeah. mental to do it at this at this at this time. Like that's a big lead up thing. So that's something that like in my view, should be announced now to take effect next year yeah, that's right. so that you can start coaching people on how to do it. Because yeah. I think that's dangerous. I think that, if I had to guess, I'll say there's going to be more injuries coming, injuries that we're not used to mm. because we've changed the way that the fundamentals go together. Yeah. Now, I would also say, um, if you make the spectacle better then you won't have to worry about the grassroots. Yeah. But if the spectacle looks like a shambles, mm. which to me is a shambles, mm-hmm. NRL's a shambles, yeah. netball is a, is, a, is a shambles, if you if you clean that up, fix that up, made the spectacle great, mm. you, everything else looks after itself. That's right. Uh, the interesting point on st- so statistics. So the six again rule was brought in last year and... It has sped the game up. Mm-hmm. It has made the game more exciting. So I'll give them that. But the frustrating thing for me is they don't acknowledge the fact that by speeding the game up, they have contributed to an increase in injuries. Because that's already happened. Because of fatigue? Well, yeah, because of fatigue, but also speed it, like higher speed game, higher uh, level impact. Yeah. Right? So... Uh, shout out to my mate Patrick uh, he sent me through an article last weekend about the statistics for injuries so far this season compared to the average of the last four seasons and major injuries so they classify a major injury as an injury that keeps a player out for five weeks minimum right. five weeks plus yep. major injuries are twice what they have been Wow. on, on, if, on an average basis they're twice what they've been uh, per weekend sure compared to the average over the last four years. Uh, head injury assessments, uh, players not returning from head injury assessments have gone up 33%. Yeah, but that, I, that's not saying that there's more head clashes. That's saying that they're not coming... They're, it means yeah. something now, it never meant something before. Yeah, so so the, the NRL's argument is that because they're policing it better, that players aren't being allowed to, yeah. to get around it. And to, there is a, definitely a degree of yeah. that going on. But what what people don't acknowledge about brain damage and CTE is, let's say that you're in a rear-end car accident. When you're in a rear-end car accident, someone hits up behind you and your airbags don't go off, you can still get whiplash. Mm. And what whiplash is, is when your head whips forward and backwards, that can give you brain damage because it's not the contact to the head. Like you've had no contact to your, your physical contact to the head. It is the brain impacting on the inside of your skull. Sure. So just 
trying to lower contact to the head, but in the meantime, speeding the game up. Oh, I see. You're, you're having you're having 100 kilo guys running full pelt at each other, yeah. running into each other. That causes whiplash every single time. So if the real thing is, if it's the thing that concerns me, if the NRL is making these, these changes because they're like, we're committed to, to cutting down on, on long-term brain mm. injuries, which they should... Mm. Well, if you actually look at the science... Yeah, you're not doing the right way. Well, it's not even that they're not doing it the right way. It's... Scientifically speaking, yeah, okay, cutting down on contact to the head is important, but cutting down on the collision is important as well. So then what's going to happen... What's going to be the next steps out of these? Are they going to have to slow the game down? So then not only are you going to have a game where every time there's a tackle the crowd cringes because they think someone's going to get sent off, but it's also going to be a slower mm. game too because then, you could, then you're going to have a boring spectacle. In the old version of the game, the 80s and 90s version of the game, mm. it was more one-on-one tackling. Yeah. But they weren't big hitters. Mm. They were a lot smaller guys. Some were. Well, it wasn't a professional sport. Like you, you but, didn't... but what I'm saying is that I feel like that technique of their, their tackling technique was very different to the, the modern one, which is get real low hit in its size. Yeah. Because you had to put them on their back. Yeah, and and it's interesting that you bring up that point as someone who doesn't watch the game because you've indicated how little Peter Volandis, who's the CEO of the NRL, watches the game because he said the exact same thing. So Gus Gould had an interview with him, and one of the questions he asked, which funnily enough was actually cut out of the official broadcast that mm. got circulated, was how would you tackle Jason Taumalolo? Now, do you know who J- Jason Taumalolo is? If I had to guess, he's a big boy. He's a big boy. Yeah. He's big Samoan boy, play, yeah. plays for the Cowboys. He He's just a wrecking ball. His yeah. legs are like tree trunks. He's an absolute beast, and he's fast too. Yeah. And what did Volandi say? Oh, I'd just go low on him. I'd just tackle him around the legs. Do you know what Gus Gould said? Oh. Okay. You'd be uh, punted from every NRL team in the league because that's an ineffective tackle. On a guy that's that big. I mean, if you go around the legs, what's he going to do? He just offloads the ball. You've I stopped see. nothing. I see, yeah. So in so the, the the problem is you've got a guy at the top who's brought in changes who doesn't actually understand how yeah. the game is played. Yeah. And it's all great to go, yeah, just go along on them. Okay, cool. And just get the defensive player's need in the face. Yeah. And make the spectacle worse. And make the spectacle worse. Yeah. And they get need in the face and don't even lock the ball up. Yeah. Like... And you can't tell me for a second, because one of the other things that came out of it was they are talking about, they are like, oh, the players need to buy into it and they need to stop feigning for penalties. Because you've seen a lot of players, as soon as they get touched around the head, go on, like, doing the flop. Oh, uh, so that is happening. That's already. happened. Yeah, okay, yeah. But again... You made that. Why, you made that. Mm. You made that a thing. If, like, this is a high-performance environment. And unfortunately, in every sport on the planet, the role of a coach is to find out, okay, these are the rules. How can I exploit that to get a, a competitive sure. advantage? You can't tell the players not to do that. The reality of the situation is if they've been contacted to the head, they should make it look like they've been contacted to the head I because, well, well, penalties win games. Yeah. Like, yeah. if you're going to have... If you get contact to the head, you know, in these new rules, not only are you going to get a penalty... They're off. But you've got one less defensive player to worry about. If I was, like, at the kickoff, I would be aiming for the best player... And I'm just going chin first. If I was a if I was a a coach or if I was in control of a club, I would just be trying to recruit players with the biggest heads in the NRL. <laughs> like that, that would be the new body type you look for. I want big head guys. I want guys with big heads and long necks yeah. and small bodies. You'd go short people too, because that's one of the other issues that you're seeing all the time. Yeah, now. All the tall forwards, 
like they have to get down to such a lower level to tackle a shorter player. Yeah. And if that shorter player also ducks his level too, like it's it's, it's been done. a bit of a farce. It's so a look, I, I wouldn't be surprised if somehow this gets walked back quietly at the end of the season or something like that. But unfortunately we're gonna have to work our way through this shit show for the rest of the year. Mm. But at the end of the day, there's only two clubs that can win it this year anyway. Because no one's beaten the Panthers in the storm. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. But it's uh, it's been a bit, been a bit frustrating a as a league fan. Now, I wanted what We should have actually started off with this and I forgot. Mm. So, last week I asked for the 50th subscriber. Yeah. And not only did we get the 50, we, we, we broke through. We mm-hmm. broke through 50 to 53. Yeah. Thank you very much. Um, Thank you very much. Something else I'm going to say out of that too, because I looked at some of the back-end statistics... 48% of you watchers aren't subscribed. Oh. What are you doing? Just click subscribe. Just hit the subscribe button, you dogs. Even if you're just a Russian hacker yeah. or bot, please subscribe. We, we are a 100% inclusive podcast. We'll take Russian hackers. We'll take Nigerian kings. Princes, who, I think. Oh, they're princes. Yeah, I think they're princes. Oh, yeah. I guess the kings aren't sharing the money. No. The, the princes are trying to get out of the country. Yeah. Is it is it the second in line so they know that they're never going to get the... the the kingdom to themselves, like like the Prince Harry type situation. Probably, yeah, probably. So yeah, all so, your Nigerian princes or Russian bots, Russian bots, uh, propaganda machines, Chinese sleeper agents, all of it. Yeah, just subscribe. subscribe. And and it does, it, yeah, it does help us. And, and thank you very much. And we have really enjoyed the banter in the comments as well, mm. which has been good. Yeah, that's been, been really good. It's been a, uh, it, it it's not a heated area. We don't mm-hmm. we don't like the heat. We like we like proper conversation. We've had some yep. proper conversation, which is really really good. You can one one thing that I feel like is an art that has just been forgotten about on the internet is that you can be funny without being offensive. Like yeah. we love jokes. Jokes yeah. are great. Yeah. But you don't have to. Every joke doesn't have to be targeted at someone. You can just say something funny about a subject. Good point. That's a really good point. Yeah, it's a forgotten art. Yeah. I think. Now uh, another hark back to last pod where Liam said, you know, find your value and, and don't spend money on shiny shit. I want to show you the shiny shit that I bought. <laughs> that so uh, for the, the people that are what, uh, listening and not, not um, watching, in the height of the crypto thing, and I don't know if I told this story before, but Tasha kind of doesn't realise how the power of crypto or, mm. or she saw these numbers on the screen and just thought that, you know, I was playing pokies or whatever. Yeah. So to prove to her how good it was, I just went and splurged on some ridiculous stuff, mm. like a $6,500 gaming PC and a watch. I got a new watch. And I always like to get a watch. Uh, when there's been a significant yeah, event. Yeah, yeah. And I hadn't actually bought one for, for a long time. Mm-hmm. So, and I wanted something kind of cool. So I'm, I'm a nut for, like, my collection is an obscure collection. I like yeah. I like things that are different. I like different movements. I like, mm-hmm. you know, quartz, automatic, mechanical, mm-hmm. hybrid, solar, mm-hmm. uh, kinetic. Like I, I, I want one of all of them. Anyway. Could, could I could I say that it's because you're you're innately attracted to the story around different items rather than the item itself uh, exactly would that be fair yeah 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 yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, for me it's all about how, how it got there and mm. and why they made like why they made it you know I bought a I bought a, a system 51 swatch watch mm. it's an automatic movement 100% plastic and 100% made by machines 
Hmm. And it was it was cheap, two hundred fifty dollar watch or something. Did you buy that from Skynet? No, no, I bought that. Actually, bought that in Switzerland before it came out here. Hmm. Now it stopped working already because <laughs> plastic sucks. But but I had to know what it was like to appreciate a new version of what like mm. old watch making making is all about handcraftedness and blah 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 blah. Yeah yeah. Now this proves to me that handcrafting is better. <laughs> yeah. working Sorry, my, my head just went because I'm thinking full full robotic factory creating this thing. So when you call customer service you'd get an automated response, but it's actually a robot on the other side of the phone. Yeah 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 and just help me I direct your call. <laughs> like oh damn it I got a machine again. Yes I am a machine. We are one hundred percent mechanical. Yeah. So I've been following this watch brand for a while now, and what struck me is, is a mate of ours is w- working with them, mm. and it's a it's it's a guy that's trying to change the watch industry. Mm-hmm. Switzerland has this this stranglehold on it. It's very it's a racket. Rolex is a racket. Okay, so they yeah. un, they, they they purposely make less uh, pieces mm-hmm. than what they know the yeah supply the supply is going to be. And then the used market just goes through the roof. And because of that too, they can be sneaky with component costs and things like that. It doesn't cost 10 grand to make a watch. No. I'm telling you. It doesn't take, cost 10 grand to make a steel sports watch. Yeah. What, what is the benefit to the watch company for having a high used market? Brand. Yeah. The strength of the brand. Yeah, fair enough. Because you can go and say, okay, well, okay to the, the, the best example between... Role, like for Rolex is Seiko. So Grand Seiko is mm-hmm. the high or a high end version of Seiko. Mm-hmm. Uh, side by side, the Seiko is probably a better watch. Okay. The Seiko is probably half the price, mm-hmm. but the re- it has no resale. Yeah. So okay. a seven thousand dollar Grand Seiko Snowflake, which is on my list, that's that's one that I want. You probably buy a second hand one for four grand. Right. But if you went and bought a an entry level Oyster Perpetual Rolex mm-hmm. for I think the ten or eleven grand. You could go sell it the next day for fifteen. Yeah, I get you. Okay, yeah. so exclusivity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The whole, the whole, the whole shebang of it. Anyway, which again is all about the story too. It's all about story. Mm. So Aventi, Aventi wanted to come out and make. They wanted to make high end. They wanted to use high end materials. They wanted to aim for. There's a brand called Richard Mill, mm-hmm. which if you watch any Formula One, every driver's wearing a, a, a Richard Mill uh, watch. They're outlandish, uh, often skeleton designs where you can see through them. You can see all the um, componentry. The componentry. Cool. They use cool materials, lots of carbon fiber, lots of titanium, things like that. Mm-hmm. So they wanted to make something kind of modelled off that off that model. Now, he's Richard Mille is not Swiss, and it went from a I think it was an original investment of like five hundred thousand dollars, and in ten years, a billion dollar company. Wow. Okay, so this guy's probably trying to emulate uh, mm-hmm. that that pathway. So he created a brand called Aventi. Now, his, I suppose his niche is that he's going to use high-end materials, titanium, and a tourbillon movement, which is a French French word. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's an automatic movement that has a different escapement mechanism to, to counteract gravitational forces. Right. It's an absolute wank. Like, we don't, <laughs> we don't need it, but it looks cool. Right, it looks cool. Yeah. And the cheapest Torbjorn movement is like 50 grand. Like if you want to buy a watch with a Torbjorn movement, mm. it's like 50,000 bucks. So they have, Aventi's got two different brands, the A10 and the A11. Mm. 
the A10 is a titanium one mm-hmm. uh, with the torbium movement. The A11 is all sapphire. So the whole case is made out of clear sapphire, mm-hmm. which is freaking cool. So the cheapest clear sapphire torbium movement is probably a $70,000 watch. Right. That watch is like ten grand. I didn't buy that one, but I want to. <laughs> I bought the A10, the titanium one. Yeah. And I'll, I'll show it up in the, in the camera. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have a look from behind the camera to make sure you can actually see it too. So all of you audio listeners are going to have to come and join us on YouTube just for this segment so you can see how wanky Alex's watch is. It is bling. It is huge. It is Larry. It's a real showpiece and I really like it. Mm -hmm. So shout out to Aventi. We should probably tag them on there. Oh, their whole business model is great too. They don't Mm -hmm. retail them. So they don't, they don't go to a retailer and have them in a shop. Yeah. They're basically made to order. Mm-hmm. They're Chinese made for now. Yeah. They will move to Swiss manufacturing. But this is like the first series. And that's why I wanted to get in because I think the story's great. Mm-hmm. Like I'd love to have one of the first pieces that, mm. that uh, Aventi offered. Mm-hmm. And they, they have like a concierge service. So you have to apply to speak to someone to talk about purchasing mm. the watch. So the experience is pretty cool. Um, the unboxing was beautiful, like a real experience. It was really cool. You should have filmed it. I, I, I can film it. I'll film what the box looks like and we can post it up if you mm-hmm. like. Um, <clears throat> I dig it. I dig it. And, and they don't do any regular advertising. So they don't pay. Mm-hmm. They don't do any sponsored ads. So mm-hmm. they will send watches to watch reviewers on YouTube, mm-hmm. but not pay them. And they'll want the watch back. Okay. They'll just say, here... Give us a real breakdown of what you think the watch is like. Mm-hmm. And then they sit in the comments and they'll talk to people in the comments. That's <laughs> basically been their, their, their way of advertising. And I think it's great. Mm. Uh, it's really authentic. Yeah. They're not hide, like shying away from the idea. Like they tell you, like this is, this is a Chinese movement. Yeah. What's sneaky about the Swiss watch thing is the ratio of how much componentry means you can have Swiss made yeah, on it. Yeah, that's, that's in everything in the in the whole world. Like, that's in Australian-made stuff mm. over here, too, is if there's a certain... Like, it could be Australian-made, but from international components. Like, yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's in everything. So, I think it's really cool, and I'm, I'm, this is the first day that I've worn it. I, I, I think it's... I think it's rad. And it's going to be a bit of a conversation starter, you know? Mm-hmm. It's got a really big loom, like that whole outer... There's like a double outer border that, that illuminates. But it's got crystal sapphire um, glass. Body's made out of titanium. Little touches like even the... So this colour, they've discontinued. And Ryan oh, was telling me why. Cha-ching. Well, he was telling me why. So this is burnt titanium. Yep. So um, nerds out there know that when you heat titanium, mm. it changes from like a steel colour to like a purpley... It, it, uh, bluey sort of hue mm. and it's very inconsistent right and this is that they made the case and then they heat treat it mm-hmm. so all the colours are pretty pretty different mm-hmm. so it Unique. almost changes yeah but they have a massive failure rate he reckons mm-hmm. 25% only 25% of them make it through their quality testing mm-hmm. and then they have to bin them so he's like we've discontinued them it's just yeah. too it's just he's too just hard binning heaps of titanium <laughs> well, when he's telling me that I'm like I want it more now. Yeah. So I waited. He, he knows exactly yeah. that that's, that's going to be the response to that. Too. I waited like three or four months for it. But yeah, little little nice touches like even the little Aventi logo there, the clasp, um, 
is all in that titanium mm. colour as well. I just think it's, it's freaking rad. Shout out to Well, like, just like Liam said, find your value. Because obviously I can see how excited you are about the watch. And that's really cool. Yeah, it's cool. Uh, it's cool. You're you're allowed to be into whatever it is that you're into. Now, do I feel bad? Do I feel bad? Because it was a significant... It was not a cheap watch. Hmm. And, but I used crypto, my crypto earnings to buy it. Mm-hmm. And now crypto shit itself. <laughs> like I received it as it's like which, it had a week of a bl- absolute bloodbath. Well, which is perfect because it means that you use crypto earnings that you sold your crypto at the top. True. And then you use and it to buy something that you wanted. That's true. Which That's true. potentially, because it's been a discontinued Ooh. style, that could be the next Bitcoin that goes through the roof. You could have made the best financial play that buying a watch will ever be. Do you know what's not a good financial play? Investment property. Uh, yeah. Yeah, so I want, you to, I want you to start from the beginning on this one because I, I asked Alex if he was okay to speak about this because he has two investment properties, mm. uh, one of which you've had for it'd be almost 15 years now, right? Yeah. It's my first house. Yeah, your first house. Uh, and it, it's interesting because so we, we've obviously talked about investing a lot on the pod mm. and uh, investing is something that I've really only become mindful of mid last year Mm. during like when I left work and I actually started focusing Mm. on a lot of this stuff. And the reason why it's interesting to me is because it's something that Amanda and I had discussed potentially doing before we did the share portfolio thing. Sure. Because we've got equity in our current house. So we're like, Oh, why wouldn't we could use the equity to buy a rental property? Mm. So oftentimes people talk about the benefits of having a rental property. Mm. Uh, You've experienced some of the dark side of having a rental property. Yeah. How long have I had it rented out for? 10 years or something, mm. maybe a bit less. And when you, when you, so the idea being a rental property, the idea being you get someone else in to pay off your house. Yeah. Okay. You get tax benefits if you're running at a loss and you often are running it at a loss where, where the rental weekly rental income is less than what the cost of that property is to you. Mm-hmm. So not only can you start paying your house off a little bit, but you get, you know, at the end of the year, whatever that loss is comes off your taxable income and you get some tax benefits. So you get negative gearing tax Negative benefits. gearing, yeah. yeah. There is a provision in the Australian tax system for, to help, you know. And the idea, the idea being the rent is cheaper now because there's an incentive to run at a loss. That's right. Okay. So uh, I, I, I've had, I had this property... Rented it out. Been burnt in the in the past where I basically had someone live in it for four months without paying rent. Mm. And the thing that sucks is that whenever it goes to... The, the system is very much in favour of the tenants, mm. not the landlords. The, which is which is interesting too because in... So that's with like a, 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 I guess, a private or a retail renter. But in the commercial space, it's the polar opposite. Yeah, but what I'd also say too is that People's perception is that that landlords have all the power. Mm. We got no power. Yeah, no power. Yeah. So anyway, this this most recent one, um, I've, I've said on the pod, I want to I want to list them for sale, mm-hmm. and I want to move that liquidity from from one investment to an investment that I think will work better, which yeah. is the stock market. My tenant in number one just decided he's not going to pay rent anymore, mm. so they stopped paying rent, and. Not only that, won't allow access to my property manager or my sales agent mm. 
I can't do a property inspection from prospective buyers. So the the so what happens is, after a certain amount of time, we can we can put like a notice to to leave. This guy's lease was already up. Let's say the lease was up on the Friday. He'd not mm. paid for like a month. Yeah. We take the bond money to to cover, but mm-hmm. now he's got no bond money and he's still in the place. Yeah. Uh, then we do like a notice to uh, vacate. Mm-hmm. Once, what's the what's the time frames for these? Like, because you have to step it out, and it's, yeah. it, there's periods of time where I think it's like a week or two weeks yeah. per per thing. Mm. Now, my my property managers have been absolutely onto it. What got be burnt last time when I had those tenants in there for like four months is that that real estate office inept. Yeah. They it was their fault because they did not action any of the forms that I was supposed to action yeah. at the time. So First National in Miami, excellent. Okay. The day that they were eligible to send the letter, boom, the letter mm-hmm. was sent. So everything, you know, is in line. Uh, also any any listeners out there who have a rental property and are looking like on the Gold Coast and looking for a good property manager, hit me up cuz I know one. And I'll hook Oh up. yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 A fan of the show. Yeah. So, so the guy stops paying rent. We do notice to leave. He just decides he's not going to leave. So then the next step is it goes to QCAT. I don't know what QCAT stands for. Queensland, Queensland something. Court of Arbitration or something. Something like that. <coughs> and then my property manager and the tenant go before a judge and a judge will rule on it. Mm-hmm. Now, in the past, the judge has ruled in the tenant's favour three, three out of four times. Yeah. When they they just hadn't paid. You what's know? like yeah? What what is the basis that they rule on behalf of the tenant? Like do you financial hardship? So you just say I'll oh, come up with a payment plan to get there. Problem is if you're a week behind on your rent, it's very hard to get two weeks in advance. You know. Mm. So the previous time they never paid a dollar after that, and then the next time it went to QCAT, they said the exact same thing. Mm. Oh, we'll just you know try a bit harder to pay. Then it went again, and on the third time it was like, nah, you're not paying. Get out. And they left. This guy decided, like, I'm not leaving. So, the good thing was he never showed to QCAT. Yeah. That was probably the best case scenario, wasn't it? Absolutely. Because if he would have just said, oh, I just can't come up with the money, the judge probably would have said, all right, go on financial hardship and come up with a payment plan. And, and then that buys them three months or whatever yeah. the time period is. Yeah. So, it, it goes, to, goes to QCAT. He doesn't show rules in our favour. So, then you get a notice of... Uh, no, no, a warrant of possession is the next form that's issued. So within like a two-week period or something, yeah. there's a date that's set on the X day of this month we'll be coming in to change the locks. So just just on that, so they call it a warrant of possession, do mm-hmm. they? Mm-hmm. And is that because you're taking possession of the house? Yeah. Isn't it interesting how you already own it and yet you have to take possession back from a tenant who's not paying the rent? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Anyway, continue. So, you get a warrant of possession, and then the police and my property manager and a locksmith go into the property, change the locks. Mm-hmm. Now, the tenant knows, or the squatter in this case, knows that date, what that date's going to be, and they're supposed to be out by then. Mm-hmm. He's not out. I still am. Okay. I think, so, the warrant of possession has happened, mm-hmm. the locks have been changed, but his stuff is all over the place. Yeah, because I, I did a drive-by and there was like a carporty looking tent thing out the front too. Yeah, there's there's junk everywhere. Yeah, I have to foot the bill 
for that stuff out the front. So we've given this guy some time. All right, so, okay, so just have the next couple of days, get all your crap out of there. Yeah. But he's, there's no motivation for him to do that. And mm-hmm. nor, he won't be able to get a rental property because he'll have a blacklist mm-hmm. on his name. So I, I get that it's hard. But, like, surely... Surely this sort of behaviour is, like... Like, I, I, don't, I don't feel like this sort of abuse of a rental property is just something that changes when you move into a new place. Like, it, it makes you just wonder, like, how, how did he have references to get in there in the first place? Well, someone who has seen the guy thinks it might be a substance issue. Yeah, I know. But, like, so substance issues could possibly mean that's why I'm not paying rent. And especially in the last 12 months with everything going on, mm. you could easily say, okay, he's lost his job, you know. Yeah. But the actual taking care of the house... Like to me, they're two they're two different things. Oh no no no! Like one's a behavioural thing. No, I've seen I've seen that happen a thousand times where that where someone's like, oh, you're gonna kick me out, are you? Well, I'm gonna kick a hole in this wall. Yeah, I, I get that, but I'm I mean like like the house has looked like a shit show for months. Mm. You know, it, it looked like a shit show before he stopped paying rent. Yeah yeah yeah. Right. So it's like if the house is a shit show, normally that would be on your uh, record for when mm. you go to get a rental in the first place. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of property managed out there that they just don't give a shit don't, don't care yeah. so as long as they're getting that percentage cut of whatever the rent is so I'm in a situation where I'm like two months no income from from the uh, tenant mm. I'm still paying my mortgage yeah now uh, I can't sell the place because it's not in a state where I can well you can't even I can't, can't access, even get into it yeah can't even get into it yeah so and, and, and so basically what the long and the short of it is it's hard. Mm. Like property management sounds cool. Well, I've got all these, I've got all these investment properties, but dollar for dollar. Now there, there are better performing properties for mm. sure, but dollar for dollar, you, you will make more money in the stock market than you will yeah. on most, most properties. Mm. And then you've also got the, the liquidity factor, which is if you need that money in, that's in your, in your shares, you can just sell them whenever you want to, mm-hmm. and you can you can take that money and do whatever it is that you need to do. So yeah, it is a I mm. I don't recommend it. Uh, I don't if you're going to buy your home mm. to live in, go for it. Yeah, but investment property, no. Nah. The only the only way that I I've seen well, sorry, no, I like I thought about this a lot and. I think the people that really benefit from things like investment properties are people who are running larger scale companies and stuff like that who are looking for tax offsets. Like, well, not not so much running companies, but uh, if you were if you were on a high income, yeah, really high income, like PAYG uh, income, and you wanted to reduce your tax, then property is a great way to do yeah. it. And you can get multiple multiple properties. And mm. the other benefit of having the 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 high wage is that banks will want to lend you money because you've got the capacity to yeah, pay. Yeah, that's right. So look, it it does suit some people, mm. but you know, if you're a young person out there that's on a normal wage, don't feel pressure to go and buy a property. Is what I'm saying. Yeah, you can make wealth in other ways, in yeah. much easier ways. For sure, for sure. Because yeah, especially if you're someone who is inclined to stress as well, like it's. I mean, I think about it now as a homeowner and I go, so we, we've bought our place, we've got a mortgage on it and that's all great. Uh, and we've thought, like we've discussed in our family potentially moving at some stage yeah. uh, just for an adventure. Yep. And then we're like, oh, you could move and you could rent our place out. And then I go, like, I, I, it's, it's my house. You know, it's my, it's my kingdom, it's my castle. Mm. 
And it's just like the thought of having someone come in, treat it like shit, you know, damage it. Like that actually it's, I wouldn't say it's a fear, but it's just, it's just not a nice feeling. Well, it's a reality. Yeah. It's a reality. You are the, you are creating the variable in which you could have that scenario where it's not going to happen if you live in it. Mm. You know, now financially, it's not a, a, your home is a liability. So everyone that thinks that it's uh, your home is an investment, it's not. Mm. It's actually a liability. Yeah, because uh, your mortgage that comes out of your monthly uh, income, yeah, obviously seen as a liability on a spreadsheet. Yeah. So yeah, that was a bit. Uh, that's been that's been taxing, and it's been mm. taxing the entire time. Like the amount of times that someone's just late, and you're expecting the money, and it's a considerable amount of money. Like you're talking. You know, fifteen hundred to two thousand, two and a half thousand dollars in a month, mm. and then you, when that money doesn't come in, especially if you've got multiple properties, and there's been times where both of them haven't paid, mm. and you're like, oh wow, there's like you know four grand that hasn't yeah. been paid, and, and you're like, what am I? I've got to pay. I still have yeah. to pay. And to me, it just doesn't make sense when it, it's like you've you signed contracts for this stuff. Like, I again, I'm probably misguided, but. I thought once upon a time that you sign a contract, that means it's a legally binding thing. And if mm. you breach contract, well, the whole contract's null and void. Yeah. So not only are you signing, excuse me, contracts with your tenants that they're going to pay you in a certain period of time and they're going to treat the property well, but you're signing a contract with your landlord, oh, no, your, um, your real estate agents and your property managers that they're going to perform the mm. service that they're supposed to perform. And obviously you're getting good service out of this one, but your previous one was dog shit. Yeah. Uh, I, I can remember stories of when you've had periods like like that four month period where they weren't paying, but your uh, your property manager was still stinging you their percentage of money that they weren't even getting for you. Yeah. Like, how does that make any sense? Like, you're being paid for a service that you're not performing. Yeah. So, like, it's yeah, it's it's very I don't know. It's just very frustrating. Uh, I think that there's a there's a bit of that in in the world now of generally being a little bit selfish, not caring about people down the chain from you. And when you're, when you're a, uh, the owner of an investment property like you are, well, now you've got the ability for your financial future to be affected negatively by yeah. two entities. And the other thing I'd also say too is that if, if you are a young person now wanting to get into property, sounds great now, the money will never be cheaper than what it is mm-hmm. right now. But when I, when I got mine, and I don't want to sound like a boomer, but when I got my loan, it was 9.89%. You can yep. probably get them in the ones now. Yeah. Uh, it'll change. Yeah. I'm telling you, it'll go up. It just cyclic. Mm. Be in no rush to go and buy a property now. Mm. And don't let this pressure now, especially there's a massive amount of pressure in the market now. Mm. A lot of these people from Melbourne moving up, Sydney and Melbourne moving yep. up here. It's even worse now that they're on another lockdown. Yeah, oh, yeah. Well, that, I was about to say, it's super relevant again. Like, yeah. all, of, all of a sudden, everyone thought it was life back to normal, and then now seven-day lockdown. But what I will say <clears throat> is, we so we have a rush, an influx of people in southeast Queensland coming up, coming up here, moving up here, mm-hmm. using all their equity in their properties that have outperformed ours by miles. Mm-hmm. There will get there will be a point where they realise. Oh, Brisbane and Gold Coast sucks compared to Melbourne. Mm. Melbourne's a better city than here. I mm. tell, like, I know that for sure. Yeah. Like, I'm not a city dweller, but Melbourne's my favourite city in the country. Yeah. So, you, those people will realise, oh, I want to go back home. Well, the other thing, too, is that 
like there's a reason why property is outperformed in city centres like Melbourne and Sydney than it has in Queensland it's because of the job opportunities. Mm. Like the the higher income roles are in major cities like that. So if you wanna if you want to live close to work to earn a high income, generally you're paying high prices for your housing. And we all thought the Rona was gonna make people work from home. But all the reports that are coming out, all the bosses, all the managers want everyone to come back mm. to justify what they do. Yeah. <laughs> so there's going to be all this pressure from up top, which is the same. It, the it's same. ironic, right? Uh, on on the way up here, I was talking to to the wife about leadership because she's doing a uh, another leadership course at work, and she has to do a presentation on part of the fifteen disciplines of leadership. And it's just really interesting how the majority of the people who I believe get sent on like leadership courses and stuff like that oh, is typically exactly. middle management. Yeah. Because the senior management don't want to hear it. Don't want to hear it. Yeah. They don't want to change. Yeah. Because they got to where they're at in a certain way. And like we were discussing this and it's like the irony about about having proper leadership skills is and this is a line from uh, from the book is instead of asking what do I require of the situation, which is what your CEO has pretty much asked their entire career to get to that point, mm. the a proper leader is supposed to ask, what does the situation require of me? Yeah. But ironically, uh, most people in the top jobs aren't asking that. They're asking, how can I keep this top job? And just like what you just said, just there is a perfect example of it where you've got managers and, and senior people in companies requiring their staff to come back to a workplace when they don't want to purely because they require it to justify what they're doing to keep their position. Yeah, exactly. It's, yeah, it's it is crazy. Wild. It is wild. Mind you, I'm, like, I'm in a situation where my job, uh, I'm completely at the beck and call of my employee. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> at the moment. Like, it was, one, one thing we spoke about is, literally, parenthood is that, that, perfect example of instead of what is it that I want to do it's well what does the situation require of me because if I want to go to sleep at night but Nate's pooed himself in bed well I can't go to sleep can I I can't just leave him to uh to sleep in his poo poo uh so yeah it's just it's interesting it is interesting it's very interesting and look I guess just one I will note on to just the whole uh COVID lockdown in Melbourne. Uh, one of the things I was looking at on the news this morning is uh, obviously the Tokyo Olympics. It's, it's like two months away. Mm. And I remember at the start of the year, there was something mentioned about it where uh, Japan, the Japanese government was talking about calling it off, but the IOC was Dick like... Dick Pound. Yeah, Dick Pound. Uh, is he still the yeah, top so. dog? Yeah. yeah. One of the greatest names in sports. Uh but yeah, the IOC, which is the International Olympic Committee, was essentially like, uh, no, nah, like we're we're not in the business of cancelling Olympics. We're in the business of like mm. organising Olympics. And it's I just find it so. It's what staggers me because there's been examples of this even in Australia, is where we've got a global health pandemic on at the moment. We've got constant messaging on TV social media, any media that you consume about how dangerous this pandemic is and the things that we could or should be doing to mm-hmm. to help out. And yet, we want to hold international sporting events where you're getting literally uh, representatives from every country in the A world hodgepodge. to converge 
on one country, and Japan's a small country with a large population, yeah. so you don't have and a lot of space population. over there, and an aging population, mm. and you're like, is this thing really that, is that that important? Because we're just selling it out for a dollar. Yeah. Like Australia did it earlier in the year with the Australian Open. Like we held the Australian Open Tennis Championships, which is an international sporting event, and because, again, we've had all these real strict protocols. Mm. i got to remember a month ago... Uh, they tried to ban people coming back from India, like Australian citizens coming back to the country from India. Uh, Because there's no financial gain, but we'll hold a sporting event Mm. in Melbourne. And that that was the last lockdown. Like, well, not last one, but it was one of the lockdowns. That caused the lockdown in Melbourne was having that event. Yeah. Like, it's... It's, Yeah, it seems seems like... It's when these large people are going to make a dollar. That's when Mm. things change. But all the little people that have to close up, because I know, uh, f- yeah. for example, like you know, the Inpay, a lot of the tattoo artists in Victoria, yeah, they were the first to lock and the last ones to be allowed to reopen, yeah, to reopen, and it has cost them a fortune. And the thing is, too, during this time, this is something else I spoke to uh, to the wife about during the week. Like, there's been a lot of pushback against billionaires and stuff, especially in the media and everything, in recent times. And talking about things like wealth disparities and a movement of wealth from the poor to the rich. And what I think a lot of people don't realize is that's literally what we're doing right now. So when you, when you consider things like the, so the pandemic that's on at the moment, what, what has happened is you've got situations where businesses have been forced to close, which obviously costs the, the little people the mm-hmm. most because the little people are generally the employees. Mm-hmm. And small business owners. Mm-hmm. Now, we've also seen at the same time many large businesses being given special graces to stay open, mm-hmm. right? Uh, but that aside, the businesses that have thrived in this time are giant multinational corporations. Your Amazons, your Facebooks, like YouTube. Mm-hmm. Th- those businesses have thrived in this period of time. But the other thing too that I think a lot of people don't take into account is... So all of the, the, the COVID mitigation practices that we're, we're doing in this country at the moment, that the government's doing, so things like all of the testing, like we've got a public healthcare system, that's fantastic because it's, you know, if you need to go and get a test, the tests are all free. Mm-hmm. Well, they're not free. Like it's our tax money. Mm-hmm. So not only is the income lower because the little, the, the little people have lost incomes mm-hmm. a lot of the time. And look, JobKeeper was great. But JobKeeper is our money too. Mm. Like that's our tax dollars yeah. that, that have created JobKeeper. But uh, I, I read an article mid-last year about uh, the, the COVID tests and Medicare was reimbursing, well, sorry, it was when they first started doing a lot of the testing, they were reimbursing doctor surgeries $24 per test. Mm. And a lot of the doctor surgery said it's not enough money. Because I think the average amount that they get reimbursed by Medicare is like $65 a, an appointment. Mm-hmm. So which is why obviously they run your appointments through. And being someone who's been to the doctors a million times in the last five months, yeah. I've, I've, I think I've been to the doctors 20 times and I've probably spent 15 minutes in yeah. total time in front of them. Uh, but yeah, so the doctors, a, a lot of them essentially said, well, uh, it's not worth our... We don't do the It's testing. not worth our time. We don't do the testing. So then the government actually had to increase the money to $100 a test. And then all of a sudden you've seen drive-through testing facilities, yeah. right? So you've got to think it's $100 a test. Now, I was listening to the news this morning. So with the current lockdown in Melbourne, 
since that's happened, which has been, what, two or three days, they've done 56,000 tests. Mm. So that's 56,000 multiplied by $100 worth of taxpayer money in, like, two or three days. Yeah. Like, that's that's the wealth transfer. You've convert All you've done is converted already reduced tax money mm-hmm. or already incentivized free welfare money mm-hmm. into the wealth into the pockets of medical facilitators. Yeah. Yeah. So like that's the stuff where you know it's we need to be mindful of these things mm. because I don't see an end to this in the near future. Mm. And I, I've seen a lot of it spoken about on the news, about the, our way out and all that sort of stuff. And it always seems to be the way out is something that hasn't happened yet, so we need to work towards this thing. But again, I reckon everyone in Melbourne thought they were basically life back to normal until now. Mm. And it's always life back to normal until it isn't. Mm. And it's real quick that it isn't too. Mm. But, you know, my, again, I, I feel for people, especially in Melbourne, like business owners and stuff like that, who've just... Like, they're just trying to claw back to where, you know, where they were at. Uh, I saw another article about um, COVID, what is it? Uh, I can't remember what the term was that they used, but uh, it's like a hot, an aversion to go on hot spots. So, you know how they've had, like, contact right. spots. So, a lot of people, a lot of businesses who have been called as a contact spot have found that even when everything's all over and they're allowed to reopen, that their client base has right. gone down because there's a stigma that they were a hot spot for, for COVID contracts. Sure. So there's, there's, there's such an economic flow-on effect which really affects the lower-level people. And then, again, it, it affects us in the long run too because... We've got to pay it. Well, we've got to pay it. And not only are we paying it, like we're borrowing money to pay for all this stuff. Yeah. Which means, like, I think our national debt's hitting a trillion dollars over the next four years or, or whatever it was yeah. in the budget. Bring back John Howard. Yeah, well... Let's get that surplus. You know, Stop spending your money. Yeah, and, and again, like, you, you don't want to say it's all about money, but as we've spoken about uh, on the pod before, unfortunately, when you take away the ability for people to take care of themselves, that's when things start going a bit pear-shaped. Mm. And, I mean, look at, look at your situation for an example. You're... That's the flow-on effect. So let's say that this dude's not a drug addict. Mm. But let's say that your renter, he just fell on hard times, lost his job because his business closed down because of a a lockdown, and now there's no job keeper or job seeker, right? It's because those things have been removed. So that affects him. But now, through the flow-on effect, not only does that affect him, but it affects you because you've now got a mortgage that you have to pay Mm. out of money that you're not receiving, which then affects what you can invest that money in or even excess spend. money that you can go and spend in the community, which you might have the coffee shop down the road, mm-hmm. which is the small small coffee shop that we, we like to go to up the road here, who you're like, oh, things are a little bit tight. I can't go and spend yeah. my money there at the moment. Then it flows onto them. And then they might have five or six people that are in the same position. And then they go, oh, well, we, we're not getting enough people through. We're going to have to let one of the casuals go. Like it's, it's a flow and effect, which which affects people. So as much as we want to be safe, we do need to go, we need to be measured in our approaches to these things because I I don't think that just snap lockdowns all the time are are the answer. And, And especially when like one of the other things I was thinking about too is like 
What is what is the purpose of announcing a lockdown at 10 o'clock in the morning and saying it's at midnight tonight? Well, my understanding is that the reason why they do the lockdowns is so that contact tracers can go and find out where everybody went. Yeah, I understand and, that. And basically put everyone in stasis so they can go and yeah, find it. Yeah, I, I get that. But you would say, we're announcing the lockdown at 10 a.m. this morning. It's effective immediately. Everyone, go home. Don't touch anyone. Well, no, because the contact tracers can't... There's no... I, I do get that. I, I know that it's easy to say, oh, the, the virus tells a time and rah, rah, but... No, I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is that they literally get... they. So this time, it was like a 10 a.m. announcement for a 12 midnight lockdown. That's mm-hmm. when lockdown started. So you've got half a day for people to go, I don't want to be locked down for seven days. I'm bailing to Sydney, to Queensland, to whatever. Yeah. Like, the, the whole point is to obviously contain the spread. Yeah. Well, you, no, no, the point is... Contact tracing. Yeah. That's the point. But why do you contact trace? To see if anyone else has got it. Yeah. So all those people that you want to contact trace could still bail. Have we had any deaths? Well, no. I think the the numbers on the news this morning was that the amount of cases has risen to 35 people. Yeah. From 56,000 tests and 76 contact sites. And how many died? Well, zero so far. Interesting. Yeah. And, you know, there's... It's been, like, obviously there's been a lot of stuff in the States at the moment about the whole lab leak theory and all that sort of stuff, which a lot of key figures and media figures have flip-flopped on mm. in the last month or so as well, which, you know, certain certain people have known about it for 12 months. Yeah. Uh, well, it's longer than 12 months. Remember the whole flatten the curve thing? Like, flatten it now, you know, so we don't have to yeah. worry about the... F- that was 18 months ago now. Yeah, and, and see, this is, this is what gets me too, like... That made sense. You flatten the curve so that your medical system can keep up with people coming through. And ironically, the the reason why, like the main reason why that was is because back then we were like, we don't have enough ventilators. Mm. Well, we've then come to find that ventilators actually make the problem worse. Yeah. And now the ventilators, the oversupply of ventilators are in landfill. Yeah, they're in landfill. Uh, But so like the the hospitals aren't exactly being overrun with patients at the moment. Yeah. Definitely not over here. And, like, I, I get really frustrated about the messaging that the the majority of people... Like, people who watch the news or ABC News and stuff like that... Like, I watch I watch it to know what's being spoken about. And then I go and I look for other sources too. Because I want a balanced view mm-hmm. of, you know... And then I, I put together what I feel like is, is happening. And, and I guess what I can do to conduct myself in the future mm-hmm. for the benefits of myself and for my family. And what I get frustrated about is, in my opinion, the the media is complicit in creating a lot of the issues that we have. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll, I'll give you an example. Uh, well, sorry, there's, there's two examples that I can speak of. One of them was when... So when Australia was first full-on doing the AstraZeneca rollout, and we were going to be producing AstraZeneca vaccine over here, one thing that I kept seeing played on... Uh, on TV and on the news all the time was a lady from the European Union who was talking about it because it was when the first blood clot issue started Mm -hmm. arising. And she was talking about how the benefits of the vaccine were outweighing the risks at that particular time. Mm. And they kept playing that on Australian TV. But when you actually look into it, she's not addressing Australia. She was addressing the European Union, which at the time had hundreds of thousands of COVID cases Mm. And, and ramping up death numbers over there as well. So again, when you're looking at the, the stats and the numbers, you go, okay, well, 
X amount of people have the virus. So it would make sense over there that currently the the risk of take uh, sorry the benefits of the vaccine would outweigh the risk. But they're playing that on Australian TV because they're trying to convince everyone over here that the benefits of taking the vaccine outweigh the risk. But it didn't in Australia. Mm. And we got really lucky. I was having a conversation the other night with someone. We got really, really lucky that the side effects from the AstraZeneca vaccine happened so early so Australia could can that program. Yeah. How because many, How many died from it? Five. I think I think it was well. The most up to date numbers I saw were like five, but I think that's like a month old. I was yeah. I was talking to you on the phone yesterday. I went on the Therapeutic Goods Administration website to try to see because they've got a register of what they call adverse events. It's not just deaths; it's mm. just reactions to to the vaccines and stuff like that. And what I find a little bit troubling is that they haven't actually updated the website. There's a government website it hasn't been updated since the middle of April. Mm. You know, it's the end of May now. And again, like one thing I want to clearly state is I am not telling anyone or their families what to do in regards to vaccination. Like as far as all other vaccines, uh, apart from this one, like I'm fully vaccinated, Nate's fully vaccinated. I'm not telling anyone to do one thing or the other. What I am saying, what does concern me is the media messaging that's coming out there is telling people to do a certain thing. And again, AstraZeneca was all real safe and the right thing to do until it wasn't. Yeah. And what is what is reckless to me is the media's willingness to go and tell everyone to do a certain line of thinking. And again, you see this in politics all the time. Uh, and you know, Donald Trump was famous for this because it's effective. Is if you just repeat the same thing over and over and over again, people start it just embeds in people's brains and they start to believe sure. it's fact because it becomes like a subconscious thing that you're like, oh yeah, I've heard that before, so it must be fact. And yeah, the issue is that like the media can go out and tell everyone to do things. There's no liability on them if if it's the wrong no. information. And I mean I even find it interesting that like even what we call the media has changed. It used to be the news. It used to turn on the news in the morning. Yeah. It's not the news anymore, it's the media. Yeah. Media is completely different to news. So I saw something interesting before I came here this morning. There was a... It was on Sunrise, and they were talking about what the health minister had said, and to get a view, different viewpoints, they got two media junkies, uh, a jun- uh, two media companies to talk about mm. Yeah. What do you mean? Like, That's that, right. That, so the media is getting more media people to talk about... Oh, no, they call them the kings of spin. Huh. Right. The kings of spin. Yeah. Well, that's like, how, how does that information actually help mm. us? It's, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, and it's, it sucks. I, I, so it all sucks. <clears throat> talking about spin. I, so I heard this. It's really interesting to see how news broadcasts put themselves together in an order to, to put across a certain uh, perspective. And if you think they're not doing this, you kidding yourself. Uh, you're just being sold to. But I found it really interesting this morning. I flicked on ABC News just to, just to see what was happening with the lockdown. And the first story they had was about the... Uh, no, sorry. The first story they had was about... It was like a, like a really nice puff piece about uh, the vaccination centres in Victoria which were being overrun with people. Mm. Uh, but the doctors were taking photos of all the dogs that people were ringing in their cars. Yeah. And it was this real nice, like, oh, yeah. you know, puff piece of, yeah. oh, look, look at this cute dog. And, you know, because all these... Pup piece. Pup piece. 
The next story was about the lockdowns and about how the number of cases mm. had risen to 35. The next one was about uh, how good they're going with, with the testing. So 56,000 people tested and a record number of people vaccinated yesterday in Melbourne, which was 21,000 people, mm. apparently. The next story was about how that number would be a lot higher, except the system that you they use for you to call in to book your appointment crashed. It's crashed three days in a row. Mm. So what they're doing is creating that sense of urgency of everyone else is doing it. So you've got this, you this herd mentality of they're convincing everyone that everyone else is running out to do this thing. You've built urgency because of the the number of cases that are rising, you've built more urgency again because you're talking about how uh, the it's so overwhelmingly popular that the phone lines have crashed, so you better get in quick. And if you're, if you're lucky enough to get through on the phone, then you know, you're one of the lucky ones. And then they also even link it all back together by going like, oh, look at the, all these like responsible dog owners who... Like, see, yeah. I don't see it like that. You don't? No, yeah. so I, I see that as the perfect get-out clause. I think Explain. the media's playing both sides. The, mm-hmm. the saying that the site keeps crashing tells me, don't bother ringing, because you're not going to get through. And do you know what? Okay. Yeah, that, I don't know. That's, that's the okay, whole so that's feeling. The way that you take that. That's the whole feeling that I had towards it. You've just given me the perfect out. Yeah, okay. You've said that the thing goes, uh, that um, it's crashed three times in a row. Mm-hmm. Guess what? I ain't lining up. And it's interesting, because I think you are, you're, like, there are obviously, uh, everyone's different, mm-hmm. and there are multiple ways that, that people are going to take this. Mm-hmm. I, again, like spoken about a million times, I often talk about, you know, our human biology and as social creatures. Like there was that uh, experiment that they did, uh, which we used to talk about in sales all the time. And it was, uh, you might remember this video, it was a a hotel that was trying to convince their people to reuse their towels. Mm. And what they found was that the... So if they, if they didn't put up any signs or anything like that, the majority of people would just use their towels once, throw them on the floor so housekeeping would take them and have to wash the towels. And they stepped it through, and I can't remember the exact steps, but they found that... Uh, so they would put a sign up saying, please reuse your towel. And just because... So that's just an example of the right thing to do is to reuse a towel because someone's asked me to do it, and they found that there was a slight bump in the percentage of people who would reuse their towels. Then they tried a different sign, which was uh, the majority of people who stay in our hotels reuse their towels. And they found a massive uptick in the amount of people that reused them because as social creatures, we want to be we want to feel included by all of our peers, right? So when everyone else is doing it, I should probably do it mm. too. And then the last step that they had was they added, for environmental reasons, the majority of people who use our hotels reuse their towels. So then you've also got another call to action, which is kind of like a, like, it's, it sounds like a really nice thing, but it's also a guilt trip at the same mm-hmm. time, where not only, if you don't do it, not only you're not doing what everyone else is doing, you're but you're destroying free. the environment yep. at the same time. So the way that I take the that news story this morning was, again, bringing in that factor of, well, everyone else is doing this, so you should be doing it too, and then creating a fear of missing out by talking about the phone lines crashing. That's the way that I took yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, I took it. This complete opposite. Yeah, okay. Oh, uh, put it put it in the comments. Yeah. Like, uh, what the which way would you have taken that sort of messaging? Because we'll actually find out whether or not uh, that sort of messaging is effective. 
from the media. You don't need to tell us what yeah. it is you're going to do because I can tell you right now, I don't care. You can, you can make the decisions that are right for you. And just on that point too, I saw a, a, there was a post on Facebook this morning and it was some Perth news company and it was like, uh, what, what is your opinion on this? Like two out of three people state say that you don't need to have children to live a fulfilled life. Yeah. Did you see that? Yeah, Tasha read it out to me. Right. So I put a comment on that. And I said, the number one best way to have a happy life is to live it the way that you want to live it, not based on everyone else's opinions. True that. True that. And on that note. Thanks so much for joining us, guys. We'll see you next RDO.